0: This is Sea Power, the podcast from the Center for Naval Warfare Studies at the U.S. Naval War College in Newport, Rhode Island. Our program showcases leading thinkers and doers in the art and practice of maritime strategy and operations, broadcasting their cutting-edge insights around the world and to all the ships at sea. I'm Isaac Cardin, and I'm delighted to introduce our distinguished guests today on Sea Power. Our guest of honor is Admiral Nirmal Verma retired Chief of Naval Staff in the Indian Navy, former Indian High Commissioner to Canada, now in Newport as CNO Distinguished International Fellow. Admiral Verma will be interviewed by Tom Mangold, Dean of International Programs and Maritime Security Cooperation here at the War College. Dean Mangold is a retired U.S. Navy Captain who served with distinction as a surface warfare officer, including his Naval Attaché in Beijing. Today, we're going to hear from Admiral Verma about the premier theater for sea power and strategic competition in the 21st century, the Indo Pacific. In particular, we're going to discuss India's strategic role in the region, its perceptions of China's naval and maritime interests and activities in the region, its participation in the Quad, and the prospects for deeper cooperation with Quad partners and other regional actors on maritime security and naval operations across the Indo Pacific. The views presented here do not reflect official positions of the Naval War College, the Department of the Navy, or the Department of Defense.
1: Thanks, Isaac, for that kind introduction and for bringing us together today. It's quite an honor to interview uh, and ask questions of Admiral Verma. But let me begin with an easy one, probably the most important one here today. What does the Indo-Pacific mean for India? How is India navigating the Indo-Pacific today? India sees the Indo-Pacific
2: as a natural region, wherein the destinies of those in the region are linked. It's not a new construct or idea for India. A closer look at India's rich maritime history showcases its deep connect from the shores of East Africa and Middle East to the Pacific. India's outreach to its maritime neighbors has been an integral part of its neighborhood first policy. Thereafter, India's Look east policy was launched in the early 90s to connect with the rapidly growing Southeast Asian economies. The pace at which this relationship grew led to the formulation of India's Act East policy alongside India's Sagar outlook announced in 2015, and this included an element of security as well. Sagar, which means the ocean in Hindi, is also an acronym for security and growth for all in the region. India's goal with Sagar is to strengthen economic and security connections with its maritime neighbors. India's vision of the Indo-Pacific was most clearly articulated by Prime Minister Modi at the 2018 Shangri-La Dialogue in Singapore when he said, India envisages a free, open, inclusive, peaceful, and prosperous Indo-Pacific region, one which is built on a rule-based international order, sustainable and transparent infrastructure investment freedom of navigation and overflight unimpeded lawful commerce mutual respect for sovereignty peaceful resolution of disputes as well as equality of nations the articulation could not have been more complete when we convert this vision
1: into lines of effort it certainly generates a very busy agenda Thank you, Admiral. That was very concise and very informative. But let me ask you, could you share your specifics on the initiatives taken by India in support of its vision in the Indian Ocean region? India is expected to be a net security provider in the Indian Ocean
2: region, or IOR. On its part, India would like to be the first partner of choice for the Indian Ocean littoral countries as they address security challenges faced by them What comes immediately to my mind is the major effort mounted by the Indian Navy following the 2004 tsunami. India has been among the first responders in natural disasters predicating HADR in the region. Similarly, when India participated in the anti-piracy patrols in the Gulf of Aden, it concurrently assisted the smaller nations in the IOR in easy surveillance and other anti-piracy measures. The Indian Navy has substantial assets and expertise in hydrography. And assistance in this area has been extended unhesitatingly to the smaller littoral nations in the IOR. In fact, almost all claims for the extended continental shelf under own clause were filed by smaller nations based on the hydrographic surveys carried out by the Indian Navy. We also hold bilateral staff talks with the armed forces of many countries in the IOR. The staff talks help us defining the agenda and monitor follow-up on action plans. India has also provided modest defense lines of credit to a number of smaller nations for procurement of defense hardware from India. The platforms either gifted or built through the defense lines of credit include offshore patrol vessels, fast patrol craft maritime reconnaissance aircraft and helicopters a mix of shipborne sensors and weapons are also provided india also offers to provide maintenance advisory groups at no cost to the recipient states india's cooperative efforts extend to information sharing and include the setting up of coastal radar and ais chains India has also responded positively to requests for the development of maritime infrastructure. The development of Agar Lega Island in Mauritius is one such example. India has made substantial investment in training of military personnel, with particular focus on the island nations in the IOR. Towards shaping a favorable maritime environment, there has been a steady increase and in institutionalization of exercises carried out with navies and maritime services of like-minded partners, over 15 at last count. In addition to many lateral and bilateral exercises and a major biennial exercise, Milan, India also conducts coordinated patrols or corpacts with the navies of Bangladesh, Indonesia Myanmar, and Thailand. The concept of the blue economy is a major import in the IOR, and India is an active participant along with its maritime neighbors. The blue economy goes beyond hydrocarbons to include the environment, ocean health monitoring, pollution response, tsunami and cyclone warning, ocean technology, and sustainable development of marine resources, particularly fishing, among others. India's acceptance of the award by the Permanent Court of Arbitration in the demarcation of its maritime boundary with Bangladesh is cited as a shining example how nations must resolve disputes. As was expected by India, the award went largely in favor of Bangladesh, but helped in fostering better relations between the two countries. Among the other bilateral relationships in the Indian Ocean region, I would like to mention the one with France, a resident power in the Indian Ocean. The two countries articulated a joint strategic vision for the Indian Ocean region in 2018. Besides an annual bilateral exercise, the two countries cooperate in the exchange of information on white shipping and the exploitation of space. The core development of a maritime surveillance system focused on the Indian Ocean is a key program.
1: Thank you. But now, Admiral, if we were to look beyond the Indian Ocean, what activities and new initiatives would we see?
2: Well, in giving concrete shape to India's vision of the Indo-Pacific, India's outreach is not limited to the Indian Ocean region only. For instance, the Act East initiatives include connectivity projects like the India-Myanmar-Thailand Trilateral Highway with plans to extend it to Cambodia. Another construct, the Mekong-Ganga Cooperation Initiative, named after the two civilizational river systems in Southeast Asia and India, focuses on the promotion of cultural and tourism ties. This construct has the potential to develop connectivity in newer areas of cooperation to include digital, economic and people to people connectivity. India and Vietnam are linked by a comprehensive strategic partnership. You may find the initiatives outlined by me going beyond the military domain. I firmly believe that a true worth of security cooperation between two countries is realized when there is an all-encompassing relationship that includes politico economic relations as well. Otherwise, it would only remain a transactional relationship. Other areas of cooperation with the wider Indo-Pacific range from the white shipping arrangements, positioning of international liaison officers at various international fusion centers for information across the region, and sharing of information between the centers India commissioned its own information fusion center for the IOR in December 2018. India also has logistic support agreements with Australia, France, Japan, Singapore,
1: South Korea, the United States, and Vietnam, among others. Admiral, it is said in some quarters that India thinks that the Indo-Pacific concept does not have enough Indo in it. What do you say to this critique? Yes, indeed, Dean Mangold. There was an article published in the Council of Foreign
2: Relations in January, 2019, titled, The US Indo-Pacific Strategy Needs More Indian Ocean, which places your question in context. The concept of the Indo-Pacific got accepted more widely in the current strategic lexicon with the launch of United States 2017 National Security Strategy, or NSS, while this document and the others that follow acknowledge India's centrality in the construct, there is a disconnect of sorts. The NSS defines the Indo-Pacific in alignment with the area of responsibility of the Indo-Pacific Combatant Command, stretching from the west coast of India to the west coast of the United States. Thus the Western Indian Ocean or WIO, A part of the Indian Ocean and India's primary area of maritime interest, falls outside the newly defined construct of the Indo-Pacific. The Department of State has its own criteria for viewing the IOR, whereas the littoral nations of the Indian Ocean view the Indian Ocean as one composite maritime space. You find this embodied in other multilateral institutions in the IOR, like the Indian Ocean Rim Association and the Indian Ocean Naval Symposium. For that matter, Japan also views the Indo-Pacific as articulated by India. In responding to your questions today, I will assume the entire maritime space of the Indo-Pacific, aptly summarized by the former U.S. Deputy National Security Advisor at a conference in Delhi in January 2020, when he defined it as extending from California to Kilimanjaro, and not the moniker from Hollywood to Bollywood. There are a number of hotspots and other developments in the WIO that tend to get blurred in the strategic discourse when the laser focus is on the Western Pacific. As brought out in a post by the Royal United Services Institute, the WIO is fast emerging as a strategic theater in its own right, as well as being a part of the geopolitics of the Indo-Pacific. The region is strategically critical considering the flow of oil and liquefied natural gas via the Strait of Hormuz and Babel Mandip. With the quartz footprint being coterminous with that of the US Indo-Pacific Command, India formed its Look West policy, akin to its Look East policy, with the initial impetus on economic cooperation. The broad parameters of India's Middle East policy were largely in place when Prime Minister Modi was first elected in 2014. Rather than take a different path, the new government followed the same course, but intensified what was becoming known as the Look West policy. Since then, a new construct focused on the sub-region has emerged in the I2U2, comprising India, Israel, the UAE, and the United States. Some commentators refer to it as the I2U2 water. The joint statement issued following a summit meeting in July this year included the launch of two major initiatives on food security and clean energy. India has also been accorded an observer status in the Indian Ocean Commission, or IOC, and the Djibouti Code of Conduct. At the same time, India has joined the Bahrain-based Combined Maritime Forces, or CMF, as an associate partner. And the Indian Navy participated in exercise Southern Readiness conducted by the CMF in Seychelles in September this year. India also has close maritime security cooperation with countries in Africa. The biennial India-Africa Defense Dialogue has been institutionalized and was held most recently in October this year. The theme was India-Africa Adopting strategy for synergizing and strengthening defense and security cooperation. Participants from 50 countries in Africa included 20 defense ministers, seven chiefs of defense staff
1: or service chiefs, and eight permanent secretaries. Thank you, Admiral. Let me shift to some other military matters. The Steady rise of the Chinese Navy has been quite remarkable, troubling indeed to many nations in the IOR. Given the sheer number of ships in the Chinese fleet, it's been able to deploy assets farther and farther from the near seas well into the Indian Ocean. What does this mean for India today? You're absolutely right in observing that the PLA Navy's expansion
2: over the last decade has indeed been phenomenal. China explains this growth as essential for its legitimate security interests. It has expressed its concerns with regard to the Western Pacific from time to time. However, let us first focus on the Indian Ocean region. At the outset, it is true that the oceans being global commons are inherently free and open, and therefore the presence of PLA Navy in the IOR should normally be nothing out of the ordinary. At the same time, as articulated by India's Minister for External Affairs, it is the intent messaging, behavioral characteristics, and degree of transparency that determine whether the presence contributes to a more peaceful and stable region. It is here that the presence of PLA Navy in the IOR raises many questions. What we see is the PLA Navy marked its presence when it participated in anti-piracy operations in the Gulf of Aden. Most navies deploy platforms equipped to the extent to handle a comparatively low level threat like piracy, and reduce the number of platforms deployed, commensurate with the easing of the threat. The PLN Navy marked its first deployment with three ships in December 2008, with two frontline platforms and a logistics ship. Occasionally, even conventional and nuclear attack submarines were deployed, ostensibly tasked for an anti-piracy patrol. This level of deployment has been sustained since then, notwithstanding any reduction in the level of threat from piracy. The last successful attack of piracy in the Gulf of Aden was in 2017, and there have been no acts of piracy this year. It appears that the objectives of the anti piracy mission have evolved from protecting Chinese shipping interests in the Gulf to a strategic forward deployment, contributing to increased PLA Navy presence in the Indian Ocean as it extends its sustained reach and resilient logistic networks and hones its power projection capability. At the annual Navy Day press conference earlier this month, India's Navy chief remarked on the continued presence of PLA Navy ships, research ships, as also fishing vessels in the IOR. He added that the Indian Navy keeps track of them to ensure that they do not undertake any inimical activities. China's base in Djibouti and its access to numerous ports in the Indian Ocean region by virtue of its long-term contracts secured by Chinese companies to operate those ports have to be also factored. China's doctrine of far-seas protection appears clearly in play in the IOR. China could also leverage debt trap diplomacy investments in ports and other infrastructure under the Belt and Road Initiative and the Maritime Silk Road to derive military advantage. One sees that China pursues an integrated set of trade, commercial, diplomatic and military initiatives towards achieving a common objective. China's most robust military relationship in the IOR is with Pakistan and is borne out by cooperation in sensitive areas, including nuclear technology, satellites, intelligence sharing, and co-development and joint production of frontline military platforms. In May 2011, former Defense Minister of Pakistan, Mr. Ahmed Mukhtar stated, and I quote him, we would be grateful to the Chinese government if a naval base is constructed at the site of Wadar for Pakistan, unquote. Now, what does this mean for India? When viewed from India's perspective, the fact that India has a contested border, a border in which Indian lives were sacrificed during clashes in 2020, and some clashes took place just a week back, or the fact that China adopts a different yardstick at the United Nations when addressing the threat from terrorism in South Asia, and blocks proscribing Pakistan-based terrorists and terrorist organisations or obstructs the entry of Indian multilateral constructs like the nuclear suppliers group are major speed bumps in the bilateral relationship. The lack of transparency on the part of China raises questions on what China seeks to achieve in this region and whether its economic activities are the vanguard of its military ambitions. It would be most evident that India and the Indian Navy will have to make increased investments and build capabilities and capacities on one hand, and continue to invest more in working with like-minded partners who believe in upholding the rule-based international order. On the other hand, it is encouraging that Indian Navy's share of the defense budget this
1: year is 17.8% in a departure from past trends. Thank you, Ahmad, that was very insightful. But let's shift focus now to the Quad. Do you consider a military alliance? Uh, Well, each of the Quad partners
2: has made it amply clear at every opportunity that the Quad is not a military alliance. This has also been reiterated in the joint statements following the dialogue at various levels at which the members interact. The Quad is the most prominent plurilateral platform that addresses contemporary challenges in the Indo-Pacific that entail areas like global governance, economics, and technology. While not a traditional military alliance, it represents a more comprehensive partnership for delivering public goods in the region, which is indeed very significant. For example, the vaccine initiative will deliver over a billion doses of COVID vaccine to the nations in the Pacific. Or take the case of the Indo-Pacific Partnership for Maritime Domain Awareness that was announced at the last Quad Summit in May this year. This initiative plans to utilize AIS and radio frequency technologies to collect commercially available data, to keep track of suspicious vessels that turn off the tracking transponders for conducting illicit activities. The existing information fusion centers in India, Singapore, Solomon Islands, and Vanuatu will be integrated and extended. The initiative will provide an integrated maritime picture of the Pacific Islands, Southeast Asia, and the IOR, which will help nations in tackling transnational maritime crime and IUU fishing, and also improve the ability to respond to climate and humanitarian events and minimize loss of life. The United States deserves full credit for reviving the Quad, first to the ministerial level in September, 2019, and then at the summit level with three summit meetings having already taken place with President Biden taking the lead. One needs to only read through the joint statements at the end of the Quad summit meetings to absorb the span of issues being jointly addressed. These range from maritime safety and security, connectivity, humanitarian assistance and disaster relief, cybersecurity, critical and emerging technologies, to education, health, resilient supply chains, and space, among others.
1: Okay, Avril, how would you respond to a number of commentators that maintain the Quad falls short of expectations as a multilateral construct? What lessons can be drawn by other regions in the world? Well, if there are critics who find the court falls short of expectations
2: as a multilateral construct, I would suggest that they are not thinking beyond the post-Second World War and the Cold War security alliances. In an interdependent world today, most countries find it very difficult, if not impossible, to take sides between the economic and security partners when they are different entities. Yes, there could be an isolated security alliance like the AUKUS, However, it would be seen that the partner nations in the AUKUS were already members of pre-existing security alliances. No doubt nations would seek to join a security alliance in case there is a major disruption in the security order in the region, as seen in the case of Sweden and Finland, applying for the membership of NATO. Should a similar compelling situation develop in the Indo-Pacific, I assess the current reticence on becoming a member of a traditional security alliance could change. I would suggest that the Quad could be a model to look at as an alternate mechanism to the traditional military alliance in other regions of the world. At the same time, if one were to ask whether the Quad has no security component at all, the response would necessarily have to be nuanced. Even in its current format, A number of Quad initiatives contribute to greater security, not only for its members, but the region at large.
1: Thank you. Now, in your view, which of the existing regional multilateral constructs play an important role in the Indo-Pacific regional security architecture? For example, the East Asia Summit, the Quad, Quad Plus, or whatever. What are your thoughts?
2: Well, each of the multilateral constructs in the Indo-Pacific has something to offer and has its own strengths. Any grouping that has an agenda that supports a rule-based international order, the peaceful resolution of disputes, and has an inclusive outlook and is working towards a common objective. For example, 21 points of common interest were identified between India's Indo-Pacific Oceans Initiative, or IPOI, and ASEAN's outlook for the Indo-Pacific at the 18th ASEAN-India Summit in October last year. Similarly, Indonesia's strategic plan for Asia-Pacific and Africa 2020-2024 has a broader regional outlook. The challenge is how best the initiatives of common interest can be synergized. The East Asia Summit format is a vital part of the ASEAN-led frameworks Primarily, it aims to build an environment of strategic trust in the region. As we discussed in the previous segment, there is coercion in the Quad as its members are like-minded democracies. The Quad members also have dependable maritime presence in their respective regions, and one could say they have responded credibly in mitigating various challenges in the Indo-Pacific not necessarily as a composite group in each case. For example, India was a first responder when Cyclone Idai made landfall in the port of Beira, Mozambique in 2019, or Cyclone Diane in Madagascar in 2020, or following the MV wakashia oil spill of Mauritius also in 2020. I would like to again emphasize the Quad does not have a military overlay to it and sees the Indo-Pacific as an inclusive region with clear support for ASEAN cohesion and centrality. In regard to the other institutions in the Indo-Pacific, I would like to underscore the value of trilaterals. India participates in the India-Japan-Australia, India-Japan-United States, and the India-Indonesia-Australia trilaterals. The India-France-Australia trilateral was mooted by President Macron in 2018 but got placed in the back burner following the cancellation of australia's submarine project with france last year fortunately the tensions appear to have been put behind following the heads of government of australia and france meeting in paris in july this year more recently president biden hosted president macron on a state visit to the united states Each of the members of these trilaterals are also members of various other multilateral or millilateral constructs in place in the Indo-Pacific. Closer home, the India-Sri Lanka-Maldives trilateral has evolved into the Colombo security conclave, with Mauritius joining as a member, and Bangladesh and Seychelles as observers. The trilaterals have overlapping agendas, which add to the whole in the Indo-Pacific. The important role played by their trilateral constructs is often overlooked. The IPOI, which I mentioned earlier, was announced by India's Prime Minister on the sidelines of the East Asia Summit in November 2019. Its vision aligns with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goal 14 that focuses on the maritime domain. IPOI's seven pillars include facets of maritime security, ecology, and trade connectivity, among others. It is heartening to note that Australia has agreed to take on the lead partner role for the maritime ecology pillar. The construct is work in progress. Meanwhile, France, Germany, the Netherlands, and European Union have all published Indo-Pacific strategies. Canada also released its Indo-Pacific strategy last month and vowed to deal with a disruptive China while working with it on climate change and trade. In essence, the strategies of these countries appear to provide for soft balancing while keeping the hard balancing option in the background.
1: Okay, thank you for that. Now, let's return to the Quad for a second. What do you think about expanding the quad to a quad plus? The
2: current quad is sometimes referred to as quad 2.0 as it was revived in 2017 after a decade of dormancy. As such, it is still consolidating. I therefore think it is still early days to implement quad plus. At the same time, if there is a specific area where a non-member would like to contribute on an initiative, that is of importance to it and it has the wherewithal, then such participation should be welcomed. Of course, they must subscribe to the foundational principle of the Quad of an inclusive rule-based international order in the region. There could be one exception for the expansion to Quad Plus and that is the inclusion of France. It is a resident nation of both Indian Ocean and the Pacific with over two million French citizens residing in its territories, as also the 7,000 military personnel and military assets based here. Yet it remains underrepresented in the mini constructs in the region. Currently, it coordinates its initiatives with the European Union, which mirror the principles of the Quad and other trilaterals in the region. In my view, France could make a valuable contribution
1: to the Quad. Thank you, sir. What do you think is are, are hindering closer military cooperation in the Indo-Pacific? Is it a case of capacity and capability mismatch? Or different military organizational cultures? Or more importantly, different perceptions of threats that they face?
2: The increased centrality of the Indo-Pacific in world affairs brings numerous associated challenges. Different facets of the issues raised by you would apply depending on the country being addressed. There could be a mismatch in terms of capacity and capability in many cases. However, such gaps lend themselves to amelioration. At the same time, the most consequential contribution that even a small nation could bring to the table as a partner is a favorable geography. Individual states may have a different prioritization of threats, which is only to be expected. Further, as I also mentioned earlier, a nation could have different economic and security partners, which poses a challenge in the current context of great power competition. These nations do not want to be placed in a situation when they have to pick sides. At the same time, an increasing number of threats are transnational in character like terrorism, piracy, IUU fishing, drugs and arms trafficking and climate change among others. There is an increased realization that no single entity may have the capacity to address these effectively on its own. There is therefore a felt need for coming together based on a shared vision. It is true that many nations may have capacity constraints, hence the imperative of a cooperative approach. As regards the differences in organizational and operational cultures, these are mitigated to quite an extent by the very maritime nature of the Indo-Pacific. Working with other navies and maritime services is an ongoing process through numerous lines of effort for security cooperation. The spate of combined exercises at sea, tabletop exercises, And bilateral staff talks and other instruments of maritime security cooperation help in ironing out the creases, so to speak. Combined exercises form a major part of convergence and enhance interoperability. It is therefore quite unlikely that two states or the maritime services would be coming together for the first time when tackling a transnational threat issue-based convergences are likely to be the way ahead. So as you would have seen, the Indo-Pacific for India is neither a mere strategic construct, not only an economic necessity, nor a security concept.
1: It is a natural and logical extension of India's outreach to the world. Thank you very much, Avril. That was a delightful exchange, and I look forward to continuous uh, conversations in the, in the weeks and months ahead. Wonderful. Well, thank you
0: for sharing your rich experience and strategic insights with Sea Power today. We wish you both fair winds and following seas. Thank you. Thanks. here do not reflect the official positions of the Naval War College, the Department of the Navy, or the Department of Defense.